are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. teaching text today is John 5 verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Today we're continuing our series entitled A Living Gospel, where we've been examining what it means for the gospel to affect real change, to simply cease being a set of ideas, a a doctrinal set list we sort of check off and becoming this thing that's living and active and impactful and integrated into our lives and affecting real change. And so we've been talking about all different types of healing the gospel brings. The, the shalom Patrick was talking about, that, that wholeness, that, that completeness that Jesus brings through the announcement of the kingdom and through his work on the cross and his death, resurrection, and ascension. And so we've talked about relational healing, we've talked about physical healing, and today we're going to talk about spiritual healing. And the reason why we're talking about spiritual healing is because, like we mentioned last week and and weeks before, that we we are composite beings. We are, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, embodied souls or insouled bodies. We are not split in half down the middle. We don't have our bodies over here and our souls over here, but it All of it is integrated, enfleshed together. And so when we talk about healing of our bodies or the healing of our minds or our healing of our relationships, all that's tied up in the healing of our souls, the healing of the fundamental parts of us that make us human. And so today we're going to look at this teaching text and examine what does it mean to be healed spiritually? What does that phrase mean and what does it mean for us? And so... You know, I don't know if you guys have experienced this sensation before, but I'm sure you have. But have you ever had that moment where you knew exactly what you needed to do? You can envision it in your mind. 
You knew exactly this was the move to make, and yet you couldn't muster the will to do it. For me, this often happens when I make commitments to return to the gym. And so I can visualize the gym. I know exactly the workouts I should be doing. I can lay out the clothes for the next morning. And then when my alarm goes off, I am physically incapable. I cannot muster the will to get out, go to bed, make that walk, and do what I need to do. Or more seriously, ever had that sensation where you're walking past somebody in need, someone who's going through something, and your entire body is screaming, stop, talk to this person, help them, extend yourself, but you duck your head down and you keep walking, even though everything inside of you is saying, no, 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 I should stop, I should stop, I should stop, and you're saying it as you're passing by. Or maybe relationally, we understand this, and man, I, I know this is how I should treat this person. I know I shouldn't respond this way, but even as you're saying that in your mind, different words come out of your lips. There's a disconnect between our desire and our will. See, we can desire to do something. We can desire an end, a good, something we want to pursue and that our wills fall up short. We seem to be unable to will ourselves towards that good which we perceive. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 7. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. In Romans 7, Paul's giving us an illustration of the inner conflict within all of us. That somehow we're able to perceive what is good. We're able to know that, this, that something is good. We can even desire it with all our hearts, and yet there is something keeping us. We are incapable of doing that which is good. And we have moments, you know, we have moments of, of, of hope where we, we pursue the good, where we, we do that thing, where that magical moment where our will aligns with our desire, but then we know nine times out of ten the opposite is true. We are, as Paul says, we, we are unable to do what we want to do. We, we end up doing what we don't want to do. And this is the illustration of the spiritual life. The spiritual life is a battle of the wills, or as Paul goes on in his letters to talk about, a, a war between the spirit and the flesh. Now, when I say the word flesh, don't think the word body. There's nothing wrong with your body. Your body was designed and made by God. So this is not some sort of like, the, the real good things in life are spiritual and ethereal and out there and our bodies are wicked and anything involved with the body is wicked. No, 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 no. Our bodies are good. When Paul's talking about the flesh, he's talking about the human nature. He's talking about our will. He's saying that, that there's something happened where humans are, 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 are not broken, but we're bent. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, novelist, he, he talks about humans being bent, that there's something that w at once in alignment, once in sync with, with, with God and, and, the, and the, the, bent of the, the bend of the universe, and something gets bent, something gets misaligned. And so now we act out of order out of the order of the cosmos and, and the God who created it. We, we see this in our last year, which we're talking about Genesis, talking about that the rebellion in the garden creates this environment where sin and death reign, and we are all products of it. And so the great question throughout Christian history has been, 
How do we heal the will? How do I align my will with my desire? Um, The early Christian writers like St. Augustine had this debate with a man named Pelagius. And and Pelagius firmly believed that if we just tried hard enough, if we willed ourselves, if we mustered up the moral courage, then we can do what is good. And then St. Augustine writes this little treatise on free will and grace. And he says, no, 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 no. There's something we need. There's something we need to do that which is good that we don't possess ourselves. And this brings us to our teaching text. Jesus is in Jerusalem for a festival. He approaches this pool, and this pool is known for its healing properties. Now, earlier manuscripts talk about that this pool that the angel of the Lord would descend and stir up the waters and that whoever made it first to the pool would be healed of their infirmities. And so we have this place of healing and then we're drawn, drawn by the John the evangelist. We're drawn to this man who's been sitting by this poolside for 38 years. He's lame. He He has some sort of physical ailment, and he has been beside this pool for 38 years. Now, whenever the Bible gives us details about people, it's because they're significant. So we have to imagine, not only is this 38 years of physical ailment, we have to imagine the psychological ailment of being able to perceive a place of healing and being unable to get there himself. And so we have to imagine this man by a pool that could heal him, but without the ability to get in it himself. And in this, John the Evangelist gives us a paradigm for the human condition. We are all, by a pool, knowing the people we should be, knowing the good things we should pursue, yet unable to do so in our own will. Trapped in our bodies, which is why the image of this man who's literally trapped in his body, who cannot will his body to do what it wants it to do, it becomes an image of what St. Paul describes of the human condition, that we're trapped in our bodies. And even though we desire to do good, even though we sometimes know the very good thing we need to do, we can't seem to shake it. We can't seem to muster the courage to make the change. And so Jesus approaches this man and ask him an audacious question that it would seem to ask a man who's been by a healing pool for all these years. He says, do you want to be well? The answer seems obvious, isn't it? He's a man who has a physical infirmity who's waiting by a pool that could heal him. I think he wants to be well. And so I think this question has little to do with the man's desire But I think Jesus is trying to get him to acknowledge something about his condition. And so what happens when the man replies? He does exactly that. The man says to Jesus, he says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm making my way, so we can imagine, how is he making his way? Is he dragging himself along? Is he trying to convince passerbyers to lift him up? As I'm making my way, someone else steps ahead of me. The problem is not his desire to be well. The problem is his ability to be well. He lacks the literal physical ability to drag himself into the pool first. Someone always beats him to it. And so 38 years, he's been doing this little race, 
trying to get to the pool before everyone else so he could get his healing, and he fails every time. Does he want to be well? Yes. But what Jesus is trying to highlight is that of his own ability, he has not so up until this point been able to make himself well. And this is the problem. In fact, Paul expounds on this idea in the passage of Romans we read earlier. He says, so I find it to be a law. In other words, this is a law, something that occurs over and over again. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. So he delights in the things of God. He delights what is good. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. And here's the question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? We can imagine the man by the pool asking the same question. Who's going to rescue me from this body? Who's going to rescue me from this condition? Just as the man is bound to the poolside, unable to reach the pool in time, we too are the same. And Jesus today is asking us the same question. Do you want to be well? Not because he needs to know if you desire to be well. Because he wants us to have the same acknowledgement that up until now, up until this point, Whatever stuff we've tried, it has not been able to make us well. Or if it has, it's worked for a time. That often, sometimes our spiritual lives is bandaging gunshot wounds. Eventually, the bleeding overtakes our capacity to cover the wound. And we need some deeper work that we are not able to do ourselves. It's often, sometimes a great irony when you look at someone as skilled as a surgeon but were they to get injured themselves, they would still need someone else. That this is the spiritual condition of humanity. But notice, Paul says, doesn't say, what can rescue me from this body of death? He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? There's an acknowledgement that if healing is to be had, if my will is to be healed, if I'm truly going to experience that which will make me whole, then I need aid. I need help. I need something from outside myself, and it's in the form of a person. In enters Jesus on the scene, and he says to the man, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And here is the moment of healing. That what we notice about this healing, that it's an act of sheer grace that has nothing to do with this man's ability to heal himself. Jesus says, come on, I'll walk you to the pool. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what, I'll hold everyone back while they get to the pool. No, no, he says, no, no, actually you don't need the pool. What you need is me, a person. And I think this is an interesting paradigm in, the, in an age where there are a lot of self-helps offered on the table. There are a lot of books about spiritual renewal and restoration. And all those things might be well and good as resources, but ultimately they will not save you or heal you. What you need is a person. What you need is a person of Jesus coming to you and his grace breaking into your brokenness to make you well. And while you've tried to drag yourself to the pool looking for your own healing, 
Jesus says, no, actually the healing's going to come to you. And that is what grace is. Grace is the inbreaking of healing that you could not muster up for yourself. Grace is the restoration you could not do. Grace is being dead and having someone step in and say, come to life. And so this is what spiritual healing looks like. It's the breaking in of grace on an impossible situation where you could not do the healing work on your own. But that didn't just happen to this man. It's happening amongst us now. And so I'd love to welcome Mackenzie up to share a story. Is it on? Okay. Yeah, it's on. Hi, <laughs> I'm Mackenzie. Yeah, so we got to chat earlier, and you have a story of how God brought healing spiritually to your life. And I think what's awesome about this series is that we don't get to just hear theoretically or what has happened in the past, but what God is doing now, presently. And so I'd love to hear your story of, of God, his grace breaking in on your life. Yeah. Um, well, for starters, I didn't grow up uh, a Christian. I didn't grow up going to church or reading the Bible. Um, it's not that God was absent from my home. I'm, I'm sure we probably said grace like on Thanksgiving or something, but um, we didn't, we weren't immersed in like a Christian community. Um, so naturally, without God at the center of my life, I fell into things that God probably wouldn't have me do. Um, and my home wasn't void of love. I knew my parents loved me, but it was pretty chaotic. I mean, my dad was in and out of my life and was basically raised by a single mom. So there was just a lack of stability. And I think as the older sibling, I kind of carried a lot of that weight and found a lot of relief through partying, through drinking, um, sought intimacy in all the wrong places and people. Um, and yeah, um, think... But it was in, in high school, like, during that time, I met a woman named Jody, and she was the head of Young Life at the time. And she's still a dear friend and mentor to me today. Um, and I wasn't interested in going to any of the Christian community groups, um, mainly because I, I knew that they knew who I was, and I just didn't want to... I just thought that they wouldn't take me seriously if I showed up and was like, okay, I want to hear about Jesus now. <laughs> um, but I was willing to meet with her one-on-one, -on -one and we did. Um, all throughout high school, all throughout college, when I would come home, and we would just talk about Jesus and about life, about guys, about just everything. Um, and it was just really an open and transparent space for me to ask questions and express my doubt and my fears. And that was really like the start of my discipleship, I would say, by the time I moved to L.A. to go to college if you would have asked me, I probably would have said that I believed in God, but I was still caught up in so many patterns in my life, and I didn't know how to merge the truth of what I knew versus merge what I knew and what I was doing and how I was living my life. Um, and um, 
fast forward to when I was 22, I was living in LA and I had just graduated college. And this was probably the darkest year of my life. Um, it just like a multitude of things had happened all at once. Um, my mom got really sick and was just kind of mentally, physically, emotionally not available. Um, my dad was sent to prison and the guy that I thought I was gonna marry suddenly ended our relationship. Um, I was financially struggling like really bad and just felt like I had absolutely no foundation and just felt like everything had kind of been stripped out from underneath me and um, I just felt really alone. Um, and instead of turning to what to God, I think I was kind of mad. Like I was like, I've been trying to go to church because I would, like I would go to church, you know, when I felt like I had done enough bad stuff that I should probably go to church and <laughs> like cry my eyes out, but then I'd end up at the club like next Friday, you know? So it was just, I was trying, but, and so then all of these things are kind of taken away from me and I was mad. So I ran um, back to Seattle and just felt like, man, when I look back, it just was like, so dark, just so empty. So um, I felt like a ghost of myself, just like sleepwalking through life and doing things that were really out of character and finding myself in situations where mm. I'm like, I know this isn't who I am, but I don't know how to get out of it. Mm. And just carrying so much shame and so much guilt and just felt so um, dirty and, um, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to change. And that verse that you shared with from Paul, I remember the first time I read that and just thinking, oh my gosh, like this is literally how I feel. What's the answer? <laughs> I was like, how do we do, what do we do? And, um, and so I came home one night um, and was just getting ready for bed, you know, my normal routine. And uh, wasn't on the verge of tears, wasn't feeling emotional, nothing just going to bed. And uh, I, as soon as I turned the lights off and laid down, I encountered, there's like a weighted presence that filled the room. And it's really hard to describe, but I just, my whole body kind of lit up and I just felt so warm. And I just knew, like my soul knew that it was the Lord. And I just was like overwhelmed with emotion just started weeping and all I could say was I'm sorry I just kept saying I'm so sorry I'm sorry I'm so sorry just like over and over again mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop crying and I felt the Lord say to me you know like I know everything you're looking for and it's me um the love that you desire from your father like that's me, like the intimacy you're seeking in men, like that's me, like all of this that you're looking for is me and mm. I love you despite you. And I think that was just to feel so known and seen mm. in a moment um, and to feel um, truly God calling me his, his daughter, his beloved in that moment um, mm. and to know that God loved me despite me, despite who I was, despite the things I'd done, um, it just wrecked me to my core. It was literally like the kindness of God leading you to repentance. You're just yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> like, this yeah. is insane. And um, I had nothing to offer 
just, I felt so empty. And I was just like, I have nothing to offer you and you're here. Um, and I would be lying if I said everything just like changed automatically after that. But that was the moment where everything shifted and mm. things did kind of start to align. Um, and a month later, the Lord called me to move to New York. I sold all my stuff. I moved here and landed out of church two days later. The Lord was not playing around. <laughs> he was like, here you go. You're going to be here. You're going to learn. And you're going to grow and heal in community. And I did. I, I felt like I spent the next, like, four years just, like, building my life on biblical truth and mm. found so much healing through community. I mean, if you're going to learning to walk again, you can't do it alone. And... Um, I was baptized a year later, and yeah, you know, ever since then, it's like, it's not been perfect. I mean, Gemma was saying earlier, we're all works in progress. We all have things that we're working on, and we're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven, but the difference that I know from where I was and who I am now has nothing to do with perfection and everything to do with freedom. Yeah. I am so free. (laughs) And I just, I can see how I was just like held by the bondage of sin in my life. It just like had a grip on me and Jesus set me free from that and, and loved me away from that. And his grace, um, healed me. And, um, yeah. Yeah. That's my story. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. So as you were kind of telling your story, you you know, you have this radical moment of an inbreaking of God's love and his grace. And, you know, you you said you kind of described the season of healing. So my my, my question to you is, and for, you know, if you were to talk to someone after service and they ask you, like, hey, like, that season of healing, like, how, how do I fully, like, embrace that? Like, what are the, what are some of the, the practices, the, maybe some of, like, the stances I need to take to, like, fully avail myself of that kind of space of healing and growth, what would you tell them? I mean, it definitely couldn't have happened if I wasn't immersed in a faith-driven community. Um, So that is, yeah, hands down, like I needed to be around people who were chasing the same thing that I was and who could hold me accountable and who could pour into me and lift me up. Um, because there was so much I didn't know. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, raised with it. But ultimately, I think so much of my spiritual healing and spiritual growth has been learning to be loved by God. I think we all know and hear over and over again, God loves you, God loves you. But um, it can take a lifetime to really learn that and to receive that and for his love to truly set you free and to go to God as, like, who you are, like not who you think you are or who you want to be, but like who you actually are and let him love you in that space. It's the only way to be transformed. Um, And I think just over time, like I would meet God in prayer and I would, you know, be confessing or just like feeling however I was feeling. And I would just hear him say like, this is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it would irritate me because I was like, that's not what I'm asking you though. Like, what are you saying? But I can see now, like he was like, you like receive my love, like know how loved you are because you can't do this in your own strength. And I'm not asking you to. And I know that every single 
piece of fruit that I've experienced in my life is because of him. It's because of the spirit. And mm. when I didn't want something, like if I was like, oh, I, I don't know, I, I want to be hungry for your word, I would ask him. Yeah. I would pray for that. Make me hungry for your word. And now I'm in seminary, so he answers <laughs> prayer. Like, it's like, you know, and make me, um, help me, help me. And, and he does, and he wants to. Um, it's not a solo journey yeah so thank you so much for sharing that I, I was struck by this kind of position you took of like help me you know that 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 those scary two words we dare not utter sometimes and how would you guide someone just right now if you were to lead them in prayer and, and be praying and walk with them like how, like how do you get to that place of humility where you can just say help me hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, for me personally, I just mm. know that I'm not standing here because of anything I've done. Mm. Um, and when I read the Bible, I don't see anybody getting anywhere because of anything they did. I see broken, wounded, mean, sad people, you know, and God is using them. And I think I was so encouraged by that. Like, mm. Paul is, in, is incredible. We read his words. We learn from him, you know. And, and, but he was like, I'm the worst sinner. Like, I'm the worst of them all. And yet, Jesus used him. God used him. And um, for me, there's been, I think we're afraid of that because we live in a world that tells us that we have to be strong enough, that tells us that we need to be good at everything, and that tells us... Um, you know, so we don't want to show, like, our weaknesses, but, um, you know, the word says that his power is made perfect through our weakness, and for me, it's just, it leads me to greater freedom to acknowledge, like, yo, I know who I am, and this is God, like, working in me, and I need him every single day. I wake up, and I'm like, help. <laughs> I can't do this. I mean, this is hard. Following Jesus is not easy, and, um, I think getting really acquainted with scripture and reading scripture mm. and learning about God through scripture, but also seeing human beings in scripture has helped me embrace my humanness more. Mackenzie, thank you. Thank you. We're going to ask the band to come come join me. We're going to get ready to respond and worship together. But I think Mackenzie's story is, is it gives us these two kind of brilliant moments where she has this intense moment of encounter, the experience of God's love, his power, his grace, his mercy that kind of overwhelms her and yet she describes this reality of needing to respond in, in her daily walking with Jesus. In our teaching text, that's actually, we could see that, but it's very subtle. See, when Jesus commands the man, he says, you know, pick up your mat and walk. So what's interesting about that phrase is that that 
that the word for, 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 for in Greek to, to pick up, it, it's in the tense that lets you know that that's a, that's a finished event. Then his command, pick up your mat. This thing is done. It's over. It's finished. Just pick up your mat. This is a completed event. You're healed. The, the, the healing is final and definitive. He won't go back to being lame. He has picked up his mat past tense. There's a, it points to a definitive event happening in his life. But then the next instruction he, Jesus is gives, and it's in this different tense in, in Greek, and it's this kind of what's called the present continuous text. In other words, you could translate this, pick up your mat and keep walking. In other words, the instruction is not just to pick up your mat to have this one definitive event, but that the response to this event is to keep walking. To not just walk, but to keep walking. To sort of walk out your faith with fear and trembling. To keep walking, to make it continuous. And if actually you look, when, when, when people have been bedridden for years and their muscles atrophy, you can regain, technically regain the ability to walk but not have the musculature to support the walking. And so what do you do? You go to therapy. You learn to walk again. You gain strength. And what do you have to do after that? You have to keep walking. So spiritual healing is twofold. It's the, it's the finality. It's the one-time event where God breaks in. And let's be honest, some of us, we've had a few of those. Where God breaks in and shows us his grace and his mercy, and there's this radical experience of God's healing power, but then the response to that is to keep walking. That the experience is only as powerful as the response to it. And this is the mystery of grace and sanctification, the, the being formed to the image of Christ, as, as Jem was talking about earlier during our time of confession. That the mystery is, it's completely a total act of grace where God breaks in. He brings healing to our will. So now we have the capacity to do what is good, but now we have to continually respond to it. The great um, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about that, that you can't have obedience without faith or grace. But you also can't have grace without obedience. And that they're two sides of the same coin. And so when God breaks in and, and does this radical healing to the interior parts of ourselves and makes us whole, the proper response is walking it out. And we know this to be true because Jesus, in a very Jesus way, meets the man after he's already healed him. And he sees him in the temple. He says, hey, cool, you're healed. You can walk now. But stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. It's not a very encouraging after-healing word from Jesus. <laughs> and also, what can be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? And so, Jesus, being Jesus, discerns something in, his man, in this man that while he was healed, that's great, the freedom he gained from his healing, he, he probably knew this man had a propensity to misuse it. And so while he might have a physical healing, there's still some work that needs to be done in his soul. And so Jesus just comes around the back end and reminds him, hey, stop sinning. Because there's something worse than being physically broken. 
Because what happens when your soul is bent and broken beyond recognition? And so there's this warning that as we respond to God's healing invitation, that we, the freedom we experience is not a license to simply live however we want, but actually to find freedom in obedience to God. That's actually, when we talk about the, a Christian definition of freedom, freedom is not the ability to make whatever choices I want, but actually be free from the choices that would lead me to death. I mentioned Augustine earlier. He has this great line where he says, you know, before, before Jesus... Humans only sin. When Jesus comes and defeats sin and death, humans now have a choice. They can choose, those who have experienced God's grace can choose good or they can choose that which is evil. They have the freedom to choose because before we were just bound in sin. But he says at, when Jesus comes and returns and the resurrection happens, he says humans will only be able to not sin. Which is like, in our minds, freedom is often... We understand freedom as some sort of binary choice. No, but actually, what Christianity is an invitation to is actually a freedom that says it's free because the choices you would have made that would have led you to death, that actually those choices are taken off the table and just the invitation to life and life only. And that won't happen on this side of heaven, but it will happen when he comes again and makes all things new. And so the invitation now is an anticipation of that total freedom. We are free from the influence of sin, truly free, unable to make those decisions, is to live like that now by the help and grace of the Spirit. And so the invitation is to keep walking and stop sinning, which is like, I'm trying, Ryan, like I really am. And yeah, that's actually the goal. It's the daily walking, the stumbling, the tripping up, the oof. I thought I had gotten over that thing, but I realized it's still present, and now I need to come and confess and come before God and experience his healing and grace. It's that orientation towards the end goal that actually begins to work it out here and now. And so I want to invite you all to stand. And... I want to invite us to respond. Um, some of our prayer team will be situated up here to pray for y'all. But there's an invitation here. I think there's three different invitations for us today. I think the first one, the first one is just simply answering the question, do you want to be well? There's some of you here and you're like, you know, you, you, you can perceive the healing. Jesus is here. His people are here. There's the invitation literally right now to be well. And so Jesus is asking you, do you want to be well? And what that's going to take for you is to admit you can't be well on your own and, and to put down whatever quote-unquote self-help that you think is going to make you well and actually endeavor to put your, put your total help and trust in Jesus. The second invitation to respond it's to stand up, take up your mat, and keep walking. Some of you, you've experienced God's grace and his mercy, but now it's time to keep walking. It does you no good standing there holding the mat. You have to walk this thing out. So for some of us, the invitation is to start walking, to start living this thing out, to go from being spectators, observing what God is doing, to be participants and partners in what God is doing. And for some of us, I feel this especially for myself. 
the call is to sin no more. To truly ask God for the freedom to choose grace, to choose his way and his word, to, to follow him in obedience so that we might be free from sin. And sin sounds like an audacious thing, like, yeah, actually I'm going to respond to sin no more, but that's why the gift of the Spirit is available, to help us, to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, to conform us into the image of the Son. So for some of us, the response is, hey, God, give me the strength to sin no more. And when I do sin, give me the strength to say, I need to be well. And so I'm going to pray for us. Our worship team might worship behind us a little bit, and then some of our prayer team will be up here to help us lead us in response. And if you need to, please come up and receive prayer. That's part of the admittance thing, to like come up and say, I need help, like Mackenzie was saying. Like, maybe some of us need to make that step, and sometimes that step is embodied by not just simply sitting in our seats and saying it, like receiving prayer up here. And maybe you're like, I don't feel like, maybe I'm stuck in the middle of a row and like it'll be kind of awkward to get out. Cool. Like, wave one of us down. We'll come pray for you. But let me pray for us. And if the Holy Spirit is today calling you to respond, do not harden your hearts, but respond. So, Father, just like the lame man by the pool, we acknowledge our inability to find healing on our own terms, in our own strength. Like Mackenzie, some of us are having that moment right now where we're feeling your presence and your love and your grace. I pray we are brave enough to respond to it, that your kindness would lead us to repentance. But it wouldn't just be a moment, God, but it would transfer into the walking, the daily living out of the reality of the gospel in our lives. Not perfect lives, as Mackenzie so aptly put, but lives committed to the daily walking of faith, to the daily confession of sin, to the daily acknowledgement of our desperate need for your healing touch. We can't get to the pool. We can't muster up the strength but you came down to us. For while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And while humanity was far from you, while we were enemies of God, as Paul says, you came and befriended us and died for us. Help us to respond today.